It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey there, welcome inside the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as we close in on opening day 2022 for the minor leagues, uh, which is coming up in just a little bit over a month. We're recording this on March 3rd. Uh, We are, what are we now, 33-ish days away from opening day. My name is Tyler Mon, Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra are in New York City. I would imagine we have uh, probably some new listeners this week as we're coming up on the start of our season. Guys, what's going on? How are you? Hi, Tyler. My name's Ben. I'm doing okay. Sam, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Is this like a, what, what is this? Is this like a new meeting? introduction? I just wanted to switch things. Yeah, on. I guess we, we should be more formal in yeah. our You said new listeners. So I just want to say my name is. I just, I, I feel like we have distinct enough voices at this point. We might have new listeners. That's true. And I, I am Sam Dykstra, if you've never heard my voice before. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the, the grumpy stickler for rules is Sam Dykstra. The youngest one here is the grumpiest. Yes, I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. Middle initial P, by the way, for all of our new listeners. Um, let's uh, let's kick off this week's episode of the show before the show is we're uh, we're closing in on three hundred and fifty episodes of this podcast. By the way, this is episode three hundred and forty-eight. I have spent weeks of my life uh subjecting you guys to me just like yelling on uh on skype and on zoom uh very exciting stuff for all of us uh but thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at the show before the show uh whether it's milb.com slash podcast or of course apple podcasts and stitcher and spotify and all the rest uh you can get in touch with us especially as minor league opening day draws nearer and nearer podcast at milb.com you can find us on social media as well uh, at MILB for minor league baseball at Ben's biz for Benjamin Hill at Sam Dykstra MILB for Sam. Uh, and I am at Tyler Mon, and we will kick things off on this week's episode of the show before the show with a uh, discussion about a minor league connection uh, to the current unfortunate major league work stoppage as the owner's lockout has continued and has canceled the first two series of the 2022 season uh, as things sit right now, but the lockout discussions the meetings between the owners and the MLBPA happened at a minor league stadium, which is also a spring training stadium, but Roger Dean Chevrolet stadium in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, I was actually wondering last week, why, why didn't they do this? Like in a hotel, why are they walking across parking lots? What's that all about? But apparently there was a, a PGA event that was going on in the Jupiter area. And so there really was no hotel space available. This is a very interesting place for the baseball crossroads uh, to hit over the last couple of weeks. But Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium is no uh, is not any uh, unfamiliar with hosting multiple levels of duty in the baseball world. And I'm going to let uh, Benjamin Hill tell you why that is. I wrote an article, Tyler, um, quite a few number of years ago in 2014, and then I visited to see it for myself in 2015. But the uh, designation that Roger Dean Stadium has, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium is now what it's called, um, is the the busiest ballpark in America. I don't know if we can absolutely quantify that, but that's what we call it. 
That's what it's been called. And I think that is a very good thing to call Roger Dean Stadium because to wit, it is the spring training home of the Cardinals and the Marlins. Then when the big leaguers go north, it is the, the home for two minor league teams, the Cardinals uh, affiliate Palm Beach Cardinals and the Marlins affiliate Jupiter Hammerheads. In addition to that, there are you know surround, fields surrounding the facility where there's GCL, complex league games, you know, training facilities. They host youth tournaments and events. So this is like a year-round operation that hosts two teams in season, two major league clubs during spring training, any number of events. And uh, so it is a sprawling uh, complex, and there's not quite anything like it, certainly in the world of minor league baseball. I mean, this has always been the case for the entirety of my career, or not, and you know, all of us in minor league baseball, is that there's always one less minor league ballpark than there are teams, and that's because of Roger Dean Stadium. Right now, there's 120 minor league teams, 119 ballparks, because Roger Dean serves as the home of two of the teams. So I think for those of us you know, who've been to games, whether spring training or minor league uh, at Roger Dean, um, or who are at least aware of it, it was kind of interesting to, you know, to see its place in the baseball landscape over the past week. Cause it's like, Hey, that's that place. That's the home of the Jupiter hammerheads of the Paul beach Cardinals and uh, so much else. So it's, it's a familiar place. I mean, that is maybe not the context in which you want to get publicity necessarily, but at the same time, it was good to see the name get out there in any way you can. And um, hopefully people will be inspired to see some games at uh, Roger Dean, you know, during the season. Uh, with those two uh, low A Southeast clubs, you know, traditionally Florida State League entities. Yeah. And one thing we should kind of highlight is that since there are two clubs, they're kind of two front offices, right? Yeah. It gets a little confusing to look at the, you know, kind of organizational tree. There is a general manager of the entire stadium, but then, yeah, there are uh, kind of separate front, uh, front office staffs for both teams. Um in order just, I think, to delegate responsibility uh, better, because it's a, obviously a lot of work to to handle all the you know day-to-day needs of running a minor league baseball team. So you have the general manager of the Palm Beach Cardinals, the general manager of the Jupiter Ham- Hammerheads, media relations for one team, media relations for the other. Because as, especially as anyone who's worked in minor league baseball knows, um, you could basically not function if you had to do those duties across the board for a team that was literally essentially always home <laughs> between two teams. And then there's the, uh, you know, because they're in the same league, you get throughout the season, these teams playing each other, you know, a fair amount. They're obviously in the same division. So you have both stadiums at their home, but one's the home team and one's the road team. And then in the next series, they might switch up. So that is another uh, kind of unique thing that you can go see the Palm beach Cardinals play the Jupiter hammerheads, both teams call that stadium home. And um I don't know. I'm sure there's some name for that rivalry series. Battle for the Dean. Battle for the I don't know. I got to come up with something. something Dean better Duel. The Dean Gal- Duel. There you go. Uh, Dean Duel. I was going to call it the Galaxy. Galaxy. The Galaxy series because it's played in Jupiter. Uh, I like Galaxy better. Yeah, Galaxy. I, like, I don't I like know why it is. Like, I saw it in my head and I was like, Galaxy, <laughs> obviously. So now you know uh, some of the background of Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, Florida, uh, which will be hosting uh, minor league baseball coming up next month as we close in on opening day. Uh, the AA Portland Sea Dogs are set to kick off their home season on April 8th, but it's a game on August 13th against the Richmond Flying Squirrels that has jumped into the headlines this week from Portland, Maine. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in us that we did not think to bring on our Portland, Maine Bureau Chief Josh Jackson just for this conversation. But 
The uh, Portland Sea Dogs will be known for one night and one night only as the main bean suppas. Not supper, which is the word that that would be based on. Bean suppas, S-U-P-P-A-H. Um, I I don't know anything about any of this. Uh, I gave it one quick read through a, a Portland, Maine uh, news outlet. Sam, you'll be much better equipped to explain what a bean suppa is to the rest of us. Uh, just as a note, Josh Jackson has uh, told me time and time again that when I go visit him, uh, in Portland, Maine, sometime he's going to play. Take me to an area place called Hot Supper, which is not evidently open for dinner currently. It's just open for breakfast and lunch. Which like isn't supper? Doesn't that denote? Doesn't that have to be dinner? Although I know in some places dinner is no dinner is lunch and supper is dinner. That's a mid Midwest thing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what's supper that? <laughs> Sam, give us the lowdown here on the bean suppers. Yeah, so a bean Wicked supper. Wicked good is... bean supper. Yeah. Uh, it, it did make me wish that they would have dropped a wicket in here somewhere. <laughs> but uh, anyways, it's a dish that involves baked beans, which you know is, is a little bit of a Massachusetts Maine um, delicacy. But it's served with Frank's hot dogs, whatever you want to call them. In Maine, they call them red snappers. Now, for you at home, you might be thinking fish and beans. Those don't really go that great together. Why would you do that? It's not the red snapper, the fish. A red snapper is a hot dog in Maine. Um, and it's exactly for the reasons you might be thinking it, it is a little bit redder than your average hot dog. And it is also has like a crisp snap to it. So they call it a red snapper. So there you go. If you learned anything. Yeah. It's baked beans with red snappers, not the fish, the hot dogs and brown bread on top of that. So it's a lot going on to eat. It's kind of like a communal experience. Um, the Portland sea dogs have announced that they were selling to go bean suppas tonight and they've already sold out at time of recording uh here we are recording at 4 40 on thursday they sold out before it actually got to supper time um so yeah it's just there's just so much fun to be had with this with this name it's just fun to say the logo is really fun logo is great the red snapper like popping out of the beans but wearing which a are cap. which are sitting in a slow cooker by the way yeah uh, it's just like a very communal and it's in front of like a paper plate. Uh, it's yeah. And he's wearing the winter hat with like the pull down ear flaps. Uh, and he looks uh, like a little perturbed. He looks like a, you know, a Bojack Horseman character. It really is a fantastic logo. Yeah. And, I, and it does all those things, you know, kind of speak to the communal aspect of it that Sam mentioned the slow cooker, the paper plate. Um, you know, I'm not too familiar with Maine and we'll get Josh Jackson on. Certainly. It's his day uh, off. We should say the yes. reason why we did not have him on is we didn't want to call him in just for this, but we will be bringing him back for sure by the time this actually happens on August 13th. Right. And I'm sure you can get a bean supper, maybe at some local restaurants, but you're really hitting the AH. On <laughs> yeah. But the paper plate, the slow cooker, you know, it's, it's about community gathering places, you know, churches, uh, your firehouses, your VFWs, uh, what have you, when people congregate, it's something that can be put together, you know, fairly easily for large groups of people. So it's the regional equivalent of, I don't know, a fish fry. Yeah, it's like a fish fry a in the Midwest. Uh, things along those lines. And, um, you know, the one of the Sea Dogs' previous alternate food identities was whoopie pies. And, you know, that one fell into, I don't want to quite say controversy, but maybe a little antagonism because Redding, the Redding Fight and Fills, also had a Whoopie Pie's alternate identity, you know, out there in kind of Pennsylvania Dutch country or close to it. And then that in led the same, to- In the same like, league, by the way. 
yeah, and in the same league. So, you know, we we're like, come on, only one of us is the whoopie pies. And there was arguments between Maine or, or uh, you know, Central Pennsylvania, which one really can lay claim to the whoopie pie. I'm going to go ahead and guess I could be wrong. Someone might come out of left field and say, no, we're the real home of the beans, sapas. But no, I don't think so. I think this is going to stay, you know, in Portland territory and they can fully own this one and not have to get in a, you know, a territorial battle over it. So that's just my guess. Bean suppas has become our uh, uncut gems. For anybody who's been following that uh, meme that's been going around the internet, it's that's that's our new uncut gems. Um, Wicked good bean suppa. Yeah. But the, very much, the hat is very cool too. We talked about the logo and, and the look and the paper plate and the paper plates on the jersey and all that kind of stuff. But like the beans are sitting on the lid and it looks like the red snapper is like popping out of the lid. It's just, it's such a good overall look. I am uh, very much going to demand that Josh Jackson takes me to a bean supper now when I go uh, to visit. Yeah, even on the jersey, it's the same thing on the jersey. The beans are around the sleeves, the the edges of the sleeves. It's a pretty great look, pretty fun stuff from uh, from the Portland Sea Dogs. And uh, now I talk about a thing that I wrote, which means I have to awkwardly toss it to you guys to then toss it back to me. I was going to say, yeah, do, we, do you now pass the baton verbally? I guess that's how we're doing it. But yeah, no, Tyler, today you have a story on the Norfolk Tides, formerly the Tidewater Tides, uh, as a strong logo history, I feel like really tapping into what a tide can be uh, through multiple angles. And now, of course, they, they kind of land on one that has a little bit of a sea unicorn look to it. Um, but what did you kind of take away from this story, you know, for a team that has a uh, name history going all the way back to the 1960s when they were in the Sally League? Yeah, it's uh, kind of a cool story that the name has lasted through a handful of different franchises. This team was uh, originally, as Sam said, in 1961, founded as a South Atlantic League team uh, from 1963 through 68. They were a Carolina League team. Uh, and then in 1969, the New York Mets moved their AAA team from Jacksonville, Florida to Norfolk, Virginia uh, in the Tidewater region. And that team just picked up the Tides name, which I thought was really cool. And they've held that ever since. Uh, and they were affiliated with the Mets through 2006. Uh, maybe the most interesting element of the story to me for the uh, the Tides name, uh, again, they were known as the Tidewater Tides in reference to the region where they resided from the early 1960s until 1993 when they moved to downtown Norfolk. But they uh, they held a contest like so many teams and so many sports and so many eras uh, through the local newspaper to find the name uh, for the team, the new team. And the fans chose a name. And then the sports editor at the Virginian pilot was like, nah, I don't like that one. I like this one better. So evidently the contest decided on the name Mariners, uh, obviously well before the Seattle team existed. Uh, but the editor of the paper decided, you know what? Tidewater Tides has a very cool ring to it. So they went with the Tides as the name. Uh, it's a, it was a fun piece to, to put together. There weren't quite as many logo changes throughout the history for that franchise as some of the other logo history stories that we've done uh, on the site, but there were some interesting elements to each of them. Uh, one that's, you know, very 60s looking, uh, you know, kind of beach uh, weathered wood uh, script that was the main logo for, I think, from 1969 through 1992 uh, for the Tides. When they moved into uh, Harbor Park in downtown Norfolk in 93, they changed their name from Tidewater to Norfolk, uh, came up with a new logo that I uh, was sure to ask uh in the the interview that i did uh for this story like yeah when i look at that it very much looks like 
the Nike swoosh to me. And Joe Gregory from the uh, from the Norfolk Times was like, yeah, it's something where I don't think there was ever a cease and desist uh, that was issued, but there was a, a conversation from what he had heard that was sort of along the lines of like, all right, just watch what you're doing here with this logo because the wave crashing on top of the word mark and the, the previous uh, Tides logo, very swoosh evocative. And now as Sam noted, they do have the uh, the very aquatic themed look of the current chapter for the Tides who brought back orange into their color scheme now that they've been a Baltimore Orioles affiliate since 2007. Um, and uh, a pretty cool story, pretty fun one to write that is up on the site right now. I love the logo look back series. We're going to continue those as the season gets closer and closer. And a uh, team that you can get familiar with, one that is called AAA Home since 1969. Some cool stuff. Yeah, and a Simpsons reference. In, and a uh, Simpsons uh, reference. I was able to work in, uh, yeah, Ben's story about Dave Rosenfield, who was the longtime 50-year uh, front office worker and longtime general manager for that franchise, Tidewater slash Norfolk. And uh, yeah, if you on the, the Homer at the bat, no, not the Homer at the bat episode, the episode where Homer becomes the mascot uh, for Capital City, uh, when he gets fired, the name of the GM on the door is Dave Rosenfield because of his involvement with writing that episode. Yeah, well, Ken Levine, the broadcaster for the right. time. That's um, correct. Yes, wrote that episode, and that was a nod to his former boss. And Dave Rosenfield gets the name checked in The Simpsons, which is the ultimate honor. Uh, Dave Rosenfield died a, a couple of years ago, but the last time I went to Norfolk in 2015, 2016, he was still there, kind of in retirement, but he still did a couple innings on the radio. And I asked him about the Simpsons thing, and he was just kind of like big shrug, kind of like, yeah, I still get calls when it's on. You know, is that show on the air still? Yeah, but he, he could have cared less. But, you know, for us, it's just like, dude, your name is in the Simpsons. Yeah, 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 you're immortal. But, uh, you know, yeah, we, we like pointing out the Simpsons references. References in minor league baseball. Of course, Albuquerque is a strong one. Another one here in Norfolk. Uh, we got to come up with some more. It's always yeah. a good topic. <laughs> yeah, always one, a good topic. One thing we should say about Norfolk, because I like tweeted their coffee logo this week. I just yeah. was doing like a your minor league logo of the day thing to, while people were following the CBA negotiations and it was going late into the night. So I was like, here's the Norfolk coffee logo. We've talked about it on the show. I talked about it the other week when we were asked about food identities. Apparently, people still don't know about that hat. So if you are a big coffee fan, you can get a Norfolk coffee hat on their website, in their milled store. It can be hot. It can be iced. It's one of the coolest ones. It seems to take off every time somebody recognizes it and finds out that it exists. So I just wanted to throw that out there again while I was on top of my head uh, this week. It is a very good Wait, one. He says it's on the top of his head, but he's not. It's even, not I'm not wearing it. Not even wearing it. See, I can't tell because uh, you have the blurred background thing on. For whatever reason, only Ben's face is being recognized today. Oh, now it's switched. Now you move the camera a little bit. And now it was hilarious because every once in a while, Sam's face would come in unblurred. And it was just this disembodied face hanging above a blurred out shirt and torso. Um, yeah. And now it's just Ben. I can only see Ben. Sam is so I've been I've I've blocked Sam it's that episode of Black Mirror where you can block people in your brain I no longer see Sam he's just a blur to me now there we go that's that's what I wanted I'm having a bad hair day so I was just this is what I've wanted all yeah mission accomplished accomplished. if that was my bad hair day I would be feeling pretty good about my hair I just I'm wearing a hat and so much I hate my hair um we're headed to uh to the northeast this week and to Binghamton New York Ben tell us what's coming up with our interview segment this week going to Binghamton because Binghamton is a place I think we should all learn more about and my most recent ballpark guide is about you'll hear me soon in the intro to this segment um, call it Mirabito Stadium Marabito Stadium we're going to Binghamton to learn more about 
Rabbitoh Stadium with Eddie Saunders, the director of entertainment and sales for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and check out my recent ballpark guide on Rabbitoh Stadium in Binghamton. And just let's learn about a place that we might not know enough about. That's the beauty of minor league baseball, learning. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, as we've talked about for weeks and months on the show before the show podcast, uh, we are working on a long-term project. Uh, several of us uh, writers in the MILB.com, MLB.com universe, we're working on the Minor League Ballpark Guide project, writing a guide for every single minor league ballpark, and that will come together to form a one-stop shop for planning your own minor league baseball road trip. And uh, it's been a great project to be a part of, uh, a lot of work done, a long way to go. And the most recent uh, ballpark guide that I've written is the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who play at Mirabito Stadium. And we thought, you know what? Let's talk about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Let's learn more about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies and about all things Binghamton. So to do that, as a compliment to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies ballpark guide, we have an actual Rumble Pony with us. Rumble Ponies Director of Entertainment and Sales, Eddie Saunders. Thanks for being here, Eddie. Uh, thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, Binghamton, New York, it's a, a place, I think, if you're not from well, central New York or too far outside of it, you might not have a great sense of Binghamton, New York, what kind of town it is, what it offers. Um, if people just say to you, tell me about Binghamton, how could you sum up uh, what it is like to live and work in Binghamton, New York? Yeah, well, one thing I would definitely say is it's not like living in a big city. Uh, most of the time people, when they think, oh, where's Binghamton, New York? And you tell them, hey, we're in upstate New York. They think, oh, so you have big cities and, you know, traffic's a nightmare getting to work. It's, it's not that at all. We're, we're kind of one of the sm smallest cities um, in, in our local area here. And, um, you know, I think we were just talking about it earlier. We're probably one of the smallest markets in double A. Um, for minor league baseball but you know it's it's kind of that got that small town feel where everybody kind of knows everybody and the community is really behind one another and wants to see everybody succeed um, and, and that's kind of been evident over the past few years especially for us here in Binghamton with a rebrand and name change um, after you know being the Binghamton Mets since 1992 and then prior to the 2017 season changing the Binghamton Rumble Ponies um, I, I think that being Binghamton and being small, um, it, it helped us because everybody kind of really embraced us. And, um, you know, I just would say it's it's a great city to live in. You know, every, like I said, everybody's friendly to one another. Um, and for the most part, you know, it, there's a lot of camaraderie between the businesses and just the local development here. You talk about it being small, and that's obviously, you know, positive in a lot of ways, but it certainly can be an operational challenge. Uh, your ballpark is about 30 years old now. And going back, I remember around, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, there was rumors that, you know, the team might leave or go to the New York Penn League. And then, bam, new ownership, rebranding, new investment. And, you are the Rumble Ponies, not the Mets. And there was a new lease on life. But then again, when the number of teams was um, going to be reduced headed into 2021, there was talk that maybe Binghamton would be on that list as well. 
and again, you survived. Is there a underdog mentality or, you know, what, what is it like, you know, working in a market where things have not always seemed like anything you can take for granted? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there was a lot of speculation, you know, as, as you said before, John Hughes bought the team in 2016, um, you know, that this team was going to leave or, or go to a different uh, level of baseball. Um, and I think it's just been, I really credit that to our local city. Um, you know, our, I think our local city in terms of business leaders and local politicians really stepped up to the plate to fight to save this team, um, to, to find somebody who was the right person back then, who was John Hughes, to, to keep this team here in Binghamton. And then, like you alluded to earlier, you know, when, uh, when there was a shift and 42 teams were kind of eliminated, I think it was, it was that underdog mentality that Binghamton had always been talked about as being one of those teams on the chopping block and, and can Binghamton have a double-A baseball team? Um, you know, and once again, I think, you know, John went to the plate and John stepped up. Our local, you know, leaders stepped up and, and just people really rallied rallied around the team and just kind of voiced their their opinion that this team should stay and that we should still be the double-A Mets affiliate. And, um, you know, a lot of credit to uh, Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson. You know, Sandy had been a friend of the team um, in his previous role with the New York Mets and had been here many times. And just, you know, stepping up to the plate really to keep Binghamton and and kind of keep us in that, uh, you know, the road to Queens, which, you know, going from Brooklyn to Binghamton to Syracuse, obviously having our affiliation in St. Lucie. Um, so I definitely think there was that underdog mentality to keep and to fight, have this team here, um, you know, and a lot of people stepped up to the plate from the, from the MLB level, as well as just from the local level to really fight. And, um, you know, now we have another ownership change with David um, Sabaka taking the team over. Um, he's been with us since, you know, November of 2021. And I think he kind of came in with that kind of same mentality to keep and fight, save baseball here. Um you know, and he made his commitment that, you know, we have one of the longest leases with our city, um, you know, and obviously now we're making the stadium upgrades, which we're uh, eager for over the next few seasons, um, just, just kind of make this a world-class uh, facility for the future stars of the New York Mets. Yeah, that, that touches on two things I want to uh, get to here real quick. And I'll, I'll start, I guess, with those stadium improvements, because that's part of you know, the whole partnership between MLB and MILB teams is improving stadiums, getting them up to a certain standard. So when you guys are looking forward to the 2022 season or obviously beyond that, now that things are locked in for, for a longer term, what improvements are coming uh, to Mirabito Stadium? Yeah, so the big one for us this year is uh, our outfield wall right now currently is not is just wood. Um, it's going to be completely padded um, prior to the 2022 season. So um, that's a, a great upgrade that we have coming in terms of that. And we're just kind of making little improvements this year, um, which will all lead to the big scale improvements down the road just to really enhance the, the player accommodations and facilities for those guys. Um, so that they have kind of everything that they need to uh, have as they make their way from Binghamton to hopefully Syracuse in one day to uh, City Field for, for yeah. Months. And the other, well, the other thing you touched on real quick there was was the 23 year lease and and signing that with the city and and it, again going back to 2016 when there were so many questions about is the team going to be here long term now you have something locked in. What does that do just for you guys as a front office and and what do you feel like that does for the city knowing that there will be a double A team there for a while. 
Yeah, I think just from a from an internal level, it definitely, you know, when the news kind of came to us that there was an ownership change and that there was a commitment to keep this team here. I think that was uh, a, uh, a great thing for the staff that we had here, um, you know, and David has come in and, and been great, um, welcomed everybody with open arms. And <clears throat> I think that's definitely helped us internally um, for to, to move forward and to, and to be confident in, in having a team here and, uh, in, in having baseball for years to come. And I think just from a city standpoint, you know, uh, when we unveiled the ownership change and all in the lease extension, um, and that there were upgrades coming here in, in, in the next few years, I think it just was a kind of a, a booster to, to the city. Um, you know, as you guys had alluded to, there was many times there were articles, you know, written and there was news, published that the team wasn't going to exist. Um, so I think just the city getting that kind of boost as well that, Hey, this team's committed to staying here and we have a new owner that's committed to, uh, to making this a success for, for many years to come. I think that just internally and externally was a really big thing for us that uh, we're carrying that momentum and getting ready for 2022 and beyond. In kind of that same vein, the discussion of a, a team's maybe tenuous stance in a community, I feel like of, often leaves, uh, you know, community partners a little bit hesitant to fully embrace, well, what kind of things can we do with that team? Now that you guys do know that you have such a, a clear runway and a, a, you know, committed future, um, the community's response to that and maybe the business response or, um, you know, organizations that you've gotten a chance to, you know, build some roots with, uh, how has that evolved over the last couple of years with the stability that you've now. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely helped us. Um, I think a lot of businesses, you know, when there was a speculation the team was was going to leave, a lot of businesses stepped up to the plate and, and you know, kind of rallied around us and, um, you know, Marabito being our new naming rights partner and M&T Bank really getting behind us and sponsoring each se last season, this season, um, being our 30th season, they're going to sponsor. I, I think, you know, just, uh, you know, I think just over the past few years and the relationships have been built and all the work that has been done to bring this ballpark, you know, getting brand new seats to enhance the fan experience, getting brand new scoreboards, brand new sound system that was just outdated. I think as those changes kind of happened and people saw those those changes taking place inside of the stadium and really kind of the um, the attention to the fan experience and building that so that people would want to come to the ballpark. I think that just helped show that this the ownership groups have been committed to keeping the team here and they were going to do what was necessary to, to um to lay that groundwork. And, you know, I just think this, like I said earlier, we're a small town and a lot of these uh, businesses, you know, Marabito, M&T Bank, Visions. I mean, there's so many that we can go on and on about. They really just kind of embraced us and stepped up to the plate to really just help support so that we don't get into a situation on the road where it's like, oh, should, should Binghamton have a team? So we're, uh, we're all about community here and we appreciate, you know, uh, being a, the best neighbor we can be to those businesses and everybody in our area. And then, you know, their contributions to help uh, be our best partner as well. And one thing I wanted to touch on with you while we have you is I was, I was looking at the promotional calendar now that it is out for you guys. Um, some fun stuff. One thing I had to double check because I was very confused for a second. It said Kate Flannery, actress from the place where you go to work. I guess you can't say the, the actual NBC program that she was an actress on, um, which is pretty funny. But the other thing is you guys are having Brett Beatty bobblehead night. Yep. Um, and that kind of pivots to my other question is you guys are a New York ball club. You are a Mets affiliate. You're not particularly close to the city, um, but you guys have been a Mets affiliate for a long time. How do you guys kind of like foster Mets fanhood in that area? Because 
people could maybe be Phillies fans. They could be Yankees fans. They could be anything, maybe even Pirates fans if they want to go Western PA. How do you guys fester that connection between you guys and the Mets? Um, I, I think it's just been a relationship that's been built. Um, you know, we kind of just try to capitalize on the players that have played here, um, you know, such as, you know, Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso, obviously they've, they've gone on and had great, you know, are rising stars for the New York Mets. So for us, you know, obviously with the current situation, having the lockout, you know, we, we kind of took a unique spin on it and, and our focus this year is really more than ever. I think just to focus on those young prospects that are really coming up and developing uh, many of who we had last year, Brett Beatty, um, you know, Jake Mangum, Carlos Cortez, um, just to name a few of those guys. So our focus really is just kind of connecting, you know, those new upcoming prospects and really focusing on them and um, you know, just kind of trying to get them into the community, I would say as well as a big focus for us this year and uh, you know, get back where, you know, people know these, these guys that are playing on the field. Um, you know, I always reference a, a few years ago uh, we went to, we took a lunch and we went to Wegmans and, you know, Dom Smith was playing with the team at the time and just people, people knew Dom because Dom would go to Wegmans for lunch and, you know, he wouldn't mind talking to people in, in line and stuff like that. So that's just something we're trying to do is really get our players um, to connect with the community and to be a part of it and to kind of be the fabric of it so that, you know, people do want to come out on a nightly basis and see them and, and kind of keep track of the rumble ponies and, and see their favorite players and how they're doing. Well, the rumble ponies got their name because Binghamton is the carousel capital of the world. Um, an episode of the Twilight Zone, you know, has carousels in it. And Rod Serling grew up in Binghamton. So he yeah. grew up in the carousel capital world and then was writing Twilight Zone episodes, incorporating carousels. Um, I like the, those local connections you find with minor league teams. If you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of promotion wise, what you've done um, or what you plan to do regarding either of those two things, the Twilight Zone or carousels or the intersection thereof. Yeah, I mean, so on this promo schedule in particular, um, you know, obviously it's our 30th season, um, 30 years of being at, at downtown Binghamton. So that'll be the focus for us in terms of the Rumble Pony aspect and the carousel capital of the world, just kind of highlighting, you know, our past six seasons. It'll be our sixth season. So highlighting this being the sixth season, um, but baseball going way beyond that. Um, so I would say that's kind of the tie in with that. Um, you know, the Twilight Zone's a little a little tricky. We don't have anything particularly kind of this year, but in the in past years, we've we've done a Twilight Zone night, had specialty jerseys for the players to uh, wear, and I definitely think it's something that you know we're looking to grow down the road here. Um, I mean, the big the big highlight for us historically this year with just the city is uh, obviously minor league baseball has the nine program. Um, and us being just within, you know, shooting distance of uh, just so close, I should say, to uh, Cooperstown, you know, Bud Fowler is getting inducted into the yes. uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame this year. He played in Binghamton at one point as a Binghamton bingo. So uh, we have big plans to do our nine night uh, to kind of celebrate Bud Fowler and his unique story that not a lot of people know and make it more educational. Um, and we're currently in the works on doing a bobblehead and a specialty jersey around that and just kind of trying to embrace um you know, embrace him and, and his impact that he had really on the game of baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, I've recently wrote a story on Bud Fowler for MILB.com and that was kind of a new version of a story I wrote 16 years ago. I've been pretty much obsessed with Bud Fowler for a long time. And I just seen that you're doing that promotion. Yeah. He played for Binghamton in 1887. Yeah. Um, in the international league. Um, 
there's just so many baseball stories with Bud Fowler, but I'm really glad to see that you're doing that and uh, telling his story a little bit of, because that is fascinating. And um, if we're here, we got you for this segment. We're talking about Binghamton and the Rumble Ponies. There's one topic we, of course, have to get to. I think you know what it is. Speedies. It's, it's the speedy. I don't think I knew what a speedy was until I started, you know, writing about minor league baseball. And I learned it through uh, the through the then Binghamton Net Mets and the promotions they were doing. Um, now you guys have a annual speedies promotion with the theme jerseys and everything. If you could just explain a little bit first for the un- uninitiated, you know, what they are. And then too, you know, how you uh, serve them and celebrate them at the ballpark. Yeah. So a speedy is really a um, it's, when uh, it started at in Binghamton with Lupo's uh, SNS Charpet, that's, you know, a, a great supporter of us. And that's kind of, you know, who spearheaded this um, for us to kind of become the Binghamton Speedies. And it's, it's usually chicken or pork or beef that's kind of been cubed up and then marinated. Um, you can also get it in lamb. Um, I've also seen people that do it as alligator. You can get an alligator Speedy at our annual Speedy Fest here. Um, but basically what you do is you just marinate the meat. Um, then traditionally back then they would put the cubes of meat on a skewer and grill it. Um, now we really don't see as many skewers being used. Um, it's more so just kind of thrown on the grill, you grill up the meat. And then, um, back then it was just served on just a regular piece of a sliced Italian bread. Now you usually see it in a hoagie or, um, a roll, um, kind of a seated bun, and, um, you know, normally most people don't put anything on it. You know, some people put ketchup, barbecue sauce. Um, so that's kind of where the speedy came from, you know, and obviously, as you said, we're celebrating it. Um, you know, this will be our, I believe our fourth season of bringing back the speedy's brand. Um, we'll have a new Jersey, new hat and everything this year. Um, you know, and it's just kind of really to pay tribute to something that's unique from Binghamton, um, here at the ballpark, usually on our speedy nights, we'll, do anywhere between eight to 10 different specialty speedies. Um, we usually do like a Buffalo one, a barbecue one. Um, we did a Greek one. Um, so last year we had, had a little bit of fun with it, even though we were coming out of the pandemic where we took our whole coaching staff and just kind of, you know, gave them a speedy. So we had our chicken bacon racks for Joey, uh, Joe Rakuya, who was our, our bench coach at the time. Uh, but that's kind of where it came from and, and just kind of some fun that we've had with it. And, uh, Hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll have some cool, uh, fun promotions we're going to do with it that we can let our fans know about. Awesome. Well, I've had the pleasure of visiting Binghamton twice uh, in my career and uh, greatly enjoyed it. Speedies, carousels, hometown of Rod Sterling, beautiful ballparks, uh, sunsets, a stadium that has undergone a lot of improvements and is kind of a sleeper hit, a, a subtle but uh, – Firm choice for uh, a really, really good destination for uh, baseball in central New York. And I realized I mispronounced the name of the stadium when I started this segment. I've been to central New York. I've seen those convenience stores. I still said Mirabito, but it is. <laughs> Marabito. 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 So if you can, in 2022, visit the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And say hi to our guest right now, Eddie Saunders at the ballpark. He'll be happy to see you and uh, tell you all about speedies if you have any further questions. Uh, Eddie, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate having us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And I wish everybody best luck this season. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was the truth, the whole truth, and the others were nothing but a spoof. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Holland Wooden Shoes. B. The Cairo Crocodiles. C. The Venice Gondoliers. There are no clogs in your synapses if you guessed A. The Holland Wooden Shoes who stomped around in the West Michigan League in 1910 and in the same circuit rechristened the Michigan State League for 1911. Playing out of the Wolverine State's town of Holland, the Wooden Shoes had no choice but to go Dutch with their moniker. Unfortunately, these Wooden Shoes never really got off the ground. In fact, in their very first season, they struggled to find their footing. By mid-July of 1910, Holland had a hole in the dike, with club ownership selling shares and creating a booster organization to raise funds. The wooden shoes had also begun to emit a distinct odor on the field. (laughs) At that point, 18 and 29, and with their best player, Johnny Lavon, who would later be known as Doc Lavin over a 12-year major league career, about to be sold. Holland's start to the season may have been rot, but from there, it only got rotter. Damn. They finished 14 and a half games out of first in a four-team league, going 39-57. and 57. Playing in the renamed and expanded Michigan State League the next year, Holland dazed a few opponents out of the gate, keeping egg off its face by going 6-6 six and six over the first dozen games. Although they had a good soul, toward the end of 11, the wooden shoes were worn out calling on position players to start on the mound and generally failing to kick back in the late innings. The levees broke and Holland wound up 48-71, and 71. but the wooden shoes weren't the league's clunkers that year. The Boyne City Boisters bottomed out at an absurd 24-92. and 92. Boyne City showed a little buoyancy, though, returning to the circuit in 1912, whereas the wooden shoes were left out on the doormat. And that's how the other shoe dropped for the Holland franchise. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these sweet treats savored their time in the sun in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Palm Desert Dates. B. The Burlington Beet Pickers. C. The Hammond Berries. Want to know the answer? Give me some sugar. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. 
My producer Ben Hill is considering law school, and he's totally out of order. segment on this week's episode of the show before the show as we get closer and closer to episode 350 what are we doing for 350 we're two weeks away we probably got to plan something we should yeah mental note to do we'll really blow out 350 um i just got i want to shout out josh jackson again real quick just because i i really appreciate all the dutch puns it was fantastic this week, was it not? And for our, our resident Dutchman, Sam Dykstra, uh, it was very I good was, stuff. When I knew exactly what he was doing, I'm like, all right, there's going to be some edits here. We're going to make sure my people are represented. And no, I think he hit, he hit all of them. Sam's been a very... There's many, there's many more things we could have said. We're not just the people who are defined by our wooden shoes and our ability to live underwater, but, you know. Sam's been in a very associate with it. Yeah. A very punny mood this week. You, you've had several good puns on Twitter. Um, you know, it's, uh, if you are a fan of that, my, my girlfriend's here. She is the biggest pun joke fan on the planet. I'm going to just have her read old Sam tweets from this week. Cause there were some good ones. There's some pretty good ones. I mean, Ben is the actual, that is true. Ben is the pun King. Uh, you were on a good roll this week though. I think it's, I'm getting into uh season shape is, is what's happening here. <laughs> the off season has gone on for too long. Uh, minor league opening day again. Let's underline this is right around the corner on April 5th. April uh, 5th. So here we are. Rain or shine. Not actually, because if it rains too badly, you know, baseball. But uh, April 5th, minor league opening day is coming. Um, and we will be back next week and every week until then to lead you up to it. And for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra in New York City, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week.